first of all, there were a couple of allegations and or issues from certain parties in regards to this movie. I ask that you please go to part one, the spoiler-free overview of this movie, if you are curious about that situation. If you're a wolf lover and have never seen the movie but plan to, maybe just give that a quick listen. I did talk about it in the earlier stages of that episode, and also very shortly will be what the director had to say about the wolf behavior in this movie. I gave credit in part one, but here it is again. I will be using some audio clips from the commentary track of this movie, which features the director and co-writer, Joe Carnahan, and the editors, Roger Barton and Jason Hellman. And again, for all of you, uh, the wolf lovers out there in the Lupine uh, Association, uh, uh, we were never uh, trying to depict wolf behavior accurately. They're, They're meant to be a kind of facet of, and thereby a force of nature. We were not out to adequately capture uh the uh the <laughs> the wolf pack it's not an Edinburgh movie no it's not it's not a it's not a it's not a you know from planet earth metaphor there's always more with me one last quickie before we hop into it there are groups of people who translate that Liam is the sole survivor of this crash and that the survivors in this movie represent fragments of Liam Neeson's personality or something along those lines. I'm going to let the director say it himself. Oh, you know, my opinions, because I think it hits people in different, in different ways. Absolutely. I think that's the hallmark of anything that's good and powerful is everybody internalizes it and makes it intimate in their own way. Right. And... It's funny, my wife, Natalie, who was uh, brilliant, I'm going to say that for you, baby, because I know you're going to listen to this one day. Uh, she's the first one to say to me, I think that uh, Awe is the lone survivor, and all of these men are just facets of his personality, which I thought was really novel until 10 other people, all women, said the same thing to me. And I thought, my God, that's an interesting little trend. I remember when she said that after the screening, and we all looked at each other like, holy crap. Right. What a great thing to say. Yeah, no kidding. And something that we had never really... No, I'd never thought of, you know. That's why I married her. She makes me smarter. They didn't intend for that at all. I didn't get a single hint of that from the movie on my initial viewing. I did theorize why some might get that viewpoint of this movie, um, I think at the end of this review. But my initial thought was, it would make sense as he loses pieces of himself along the way. It would have been a really cool element if done intentionally. That said, I do not plan to really entertain such thoughts, go into that, as I have not come across further information in my research that I felt necessary to add. Our hosts suggest enjoying this movie with a glass of scotch, as they did while doing the commentary track. I'm sure you'll be able to hear the ice banging around in their glasses. I take that as serious as a doctor's order. So, you know, the creators suggest a heavy dose of liquor while you enjoy the film. Doctor's orders. Much of this outline is from my initial viewing with some added commentary from later on. I tried to preserve the heart of my first viewing throughout this walkthrough. Honestly, coming back to this three months later, I was a little confused on what was what. I probably could have really done a cool, like, Snyder, like how I did my Snyder cut type thing, but unfortunately, as I was going back through this, I don't fully know what was what. I didn't set myself up that well. Let's get to the movie! The Grey opens up with a fairly long monologue from Liam Neeson as he snipes a wolf. 
The monologue could have been longer, according to the director. I think uh, it was wise to keep that short. It is perfectly splendid, as is. What a callback. If you can name that, email me or something. Twitter me. This introduces us to him, the main character, Liam Neeson. I don't think I know anyone's name in this movie, but I don't have to for this review, so it's all good. Visually, we are seeing some really nice cinematography and some scenery, and of course, the weather in Alaska. I like the artistic style of the filter or whatever they used. There's always this VHS-like grain over the movie, and it is really well done, and I do enjoy that aesthetic. I think a movie like Collateral Damage is a decent comparison. If memory serves me correctly, lord help me on that one, it's been a long time. I know that that movie does have a very sleek look to it, that this movie does not. You know, that movie's in a big city, this one's not in any city. But if I recall correctly, Collateral has a distinct grain and coloration to it. There are other examples out there, I'm sure, but that was what came to my mind at the time. That's, I don't know, um... Otherwise, just think of, you know, the, the old 70s movies are just watching something on VHS. There's that grain filter. That's what I'm talking about. Technically, it wasn't a filter then. Now, usually it's done digitally, which can look like crap sometimes. So, Liam boards a plane. He gets in his seat, and there's an overly chatty, boisterous kind of character who gets all up in Liam's business, which leads to an altercation between Liam and Mr. Chatty Chat. Chatty Chat gets up from his seat, grabs his backpack, and he hops to a different seat, so he is not in the same row as Liam anymore. He moves during takeoff, so Chatty Chat gets yelled at by the stewardess to sit down, and we have a bit of a time lapse as we now see that everyone is settled in mid-flight. There are some extended shots of people getting along, chatting, as the plane hits some mild but evident turbulence a few times. It's all very naturally executed, true of this scene and true of the entire movie. They take their time both during scenes and at locations. Let's listen to somebody else. You write it when you film it, and then when you cut it, and you, and you, and you I'm always amazed like how much of it comes out. And here's a section of the film that's almost completely improvised. Every, mm-hmm. This is just the guys having a conversation. And this is, this is the first time we really get to know who these guys are. Uh, in the first cut... We got to know these guys a little bit in the bar scene. Uh, and then we found after a screening with your friends right. that maybe it, it wasn't necessary. Yeah, nobody really cared that we met these guys in the bar. It was more, I think the feeling was if they survived the crash, right. then they were all, they, then that alone was the unifying exactly. force. I disagree with what they said. First of all, no, we are not getting to know the characters. At best, we are being reminded that these guys are comfortable with each other and they aren't complete strangers on a plane. Second, I don't know what that cut of this movie looked like, but if it resembles the finished product, then it was more than likely the fact that by the end of the movie, it felt unnecessary to have this deeper understanding of all the side characters. You see, for me... I forgot about that connection between everyone after this point in the movie. As a group, they feel more like a bunch of strangers who survived in a crash than a group of co-workers with previous relationships with each other. Those relationships get totally lost for me in this movie. 
It's also possible that upon a viewing where I'm not pausing the movie, writing notes, and sometimes even rewinding it, an issue like that might go away. I'll have a chance later tonight to find out if that is the case. It was not. The turbulence is getting pretty bad when Chatty Chat pipes up. Hey guys, do yourself a favor. Don't do that head between your knees crash position shit if this fuck goes down. Shut the fuck up. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. Suck my dick, Why would you even say that? I'm just saying, I seen on the Discovery Channel this plane crash, these people's spines went through the tops of their skulls because they were all bent over. I bet one dollar that we see that injury happen to someone. Turned out that I lost that bet, but I am 100% okay with that. So now I'm at the scene leading up to this inevitable plane crash where we can see everyone's breath, and it is awesome. And it is also incredibly chilling. The plane crash itself is intense. It's got to be like top two as far as plane crashes for me without really thinking too hard about that. Snap, crackle, and pop. plane goes down. Snap, crackle, rice I'm going to skip ahead in the film a bit here, and it is now nighttime, and there are, I think, seven survivors. And there is also one, two, three sets of wolves' eyes glowing menacingly from the pitch-black darkness of the Alaskan void. The wolves' eyes slowly revealing their numbers as a total of seven sets of eyes are revealed. It's a standoff, and it's one that the humans would lose. Now let's go back in time for a second. Prior to that scene, Liam gets attacked by a wolf, and I'm going to agree with the director who said it could have been better. 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 The movie all but says that the seven survivors must have landed near a wolf's den, which according to the movie means the wolves aren't going to be shy, which I 100% know will be the case, given the fact that they just had a standoff in a very well done and creepy scene, and, you know, they show the fucking end of the movie battle between Liam and a wolf in the goddamn trailer. They used all the best scenes in the trailer, and I'm... Glad that I was able to forget about all of that imagery linked to the advertising of this movie before I saw it. That being, you know, nine, ten-ish years before seeing the film. Yeah, ten years, really, before seeing the film again. Or ever, before watching the movie. So, yeah, my conclusion is, I would expect the wolves will be hanging around. The guys are 
not complete morons, although given their decision to leave the wreckage location, maybe they are, but I don't believe they are supposed to be morons. They are smart enough to have a night watch system, which they set up. Liam drifts off for a little while and he takes a nap. Then he wakes up and he immediately tells sick Sam not to be falling asleep on them. Like, dude, as far as I can tell, you're on guard too. You're not supposed to be sleeping either, Liam. And you literally just woke up from a nap, dude. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be a little humor. That I don't know. One writing issue I have is... There is zero scramble for these guys to get weaponry. They've already been attacked by the wolves. They are fearful, after a straight-up stare-off, that the wolves will come back for more, and yet not a single person thinks I should have a weapon to help fight off a fucking wolf. Not a single one of them. Now we catch up with Pissing Pat, who is off on his own. He's at the fire, and he decides to wander off to take a piss, hence his name. And in an even more private area? Not that anyone was around the fire with him. And yeah, fucking wolf attack. The movie cuts to the morning and Liam discovers the body. For the life of me, I don't understand how the wolf attack wasn't heard. I guess maybe he was on like a one-man shift and everyone else was sleeping? It's minor, but it's still an issue. It's clear from how this guy was killed that the wolves are killing for sport and not due to starvation. At this point, there is growing dissent amongst the group about how to handle this entire situation. Liam is being vocal given his knowledge of wolves, since killing them is part of his job. The group, as a tactical move against the wolves, and because it is believed they are asking for a more certain death by staying at the crash site compared to making the trek towards an unknown civilization. I already mentioned how idiotic this decision is. I was wondering if they were going to pull a planes, trains, and automobiles where they don't survive because of the decision to take an alternate route. That didn't make it into my review of that movie, but while creating the Planes, Trains, and Automobiles review, with my nice headphones on, I was able to hear what was said on the TV, like halfway through the movie, while Steve Martin's wife is in bed, may or may not be sleeping, and on the news, it's announced that flights were back up and running, which would have, I'm sure, been a part of the missing storyline that I am so glad they cut, where his wife was thinking that uh, Steve Martin was cheating on her. She didn't trust what he was saying, etc. A little off topic. Sorry. Not sorry, but sort of. If it isn't clear from the fact that the plane went down, the weather isn't so great. It's not super duper snowy, but it is nasty enough. After writing this note, I followed it up with this note. Funny. So, I had the movie paused, first time ever seeing this movie, to write that note, and when I hit play, it was like two nanoseconds later and the movie transitioned to a straight-up blizzard. So, yeah. There is now blizzard weather on top of everything else? Yikes. I have issues with the consistency of the weather in this movie. An example of one of my issues is coming shortly. Prior to leaving the crash site, there are some thoughtful words said, and the movie also takes a moment to infuse some comedy. I don't know any official prayers, so uh, I guess uh, God bless these men. They were 
some of them are friends. And uh, we could be lying here with them. So thank you for sparing us and helping us. Oh, and keep that up if you can. At this point, they are headed for the tree line. They can hardly walk due to the weather, and Chatty Chet is really struggling to keep up. Falling further and further behind. Don't worry about me, motherfuckers. You know, if you want to run off into the trees, that's cool too. He gets jumped by three wolves. I want you to listen to the sound effects. When Liam reaches the guy, everything stops. Weather ain't about to stop like that. These are the types of things that push me to say that this movie is too Hollywood. Next, the entire group gets flanked by like eight wolves, four on each side. Need a fire to keep office. The group escapes, sort of. I'm not exactly sold on why the wolves held back. Come on. Come on, baby. Come on. While our guys were able to make a fire to help keep the wolves at bay. But I got to say, a hell of a job with the sound effects of the wolves surrounding them. This is about the time that the movie began to click for me. This is where I realized there is something deeper going on in this movie and that it is not primarily an action club. FYI, it's the unnatural sound effects of the wolf that tipped me And in retrospect, that helps with understanding why the wolves held back in this scene. It worked. We should start perimeter fires. See these bastards before they come. And with some more great sound effects, it sounds like there is a new, larger predator. What the fuck was that? The Alpha. They went at him. He put it down. Whatever, whatever that challenge was, the Alpha put it down. Oh no. He said it was the Alpha. I talked about that at the end of my spoiler free episode. So the guys have built a fire for the night, and we get a rather lengthy scene which begins with some action. Action that I just derailed, so back to that action. Really, boys? This is what it's come down to, huh? This MacGyver bullshit? <laughs> I recommend you kissing my ass. What's wrong with being scared? I'm not scared. You're not? No. 
terrified. That's because you're a punk. Put your fucking hands up. I'm going to show you how this is done. Put your fucking hands up. shit this fucking movie right as i'm like okay they better have this punk apologize to the group and liam right now not a moment later he's apologizing it was bullshit how well they tie the wolf attacks in this movie is insane just about every time you know it's coming but then they lull you into thinking it isn't coming and boom it happens and they aren't doing that by using a false scare first and then the real scare. They just naturally set it up like such, and then the editor brought it home with some precision strikes. Is that the big one? That big fucker. It's not the alpha. I wouldn't be doing you justice if I didn't mention this scene that happens around this time. You fucking dog. in right here and just point out the very direct parallels that are shown throughout this entire scene between how the wolves are acting as a group and you know the descent amongst the group as well as the descent amongst our humans and right there as he pointed out they're behaving no differently come here you fucker come here you puppy Oh, yeah. You're a twisted fuck. You're wrong for that. 
I love the back and forth between the group and the wolves, most specifically when the guy taunts the wolves by throwing one of their own a wolf's head out towards the other wolves. Take him back, motherfucker! Did they shut him up? Just as our humans thought that they had figured everything out and found their alpha in Liam Neeson, the wolves have also unified as one under their alpha. At this point, the movie really ends up for about 20 minutes. This is where we get some character-to-character downtime around a campfire. My dad was not without love. What a cliched Irish motherfucker when he wanted to be. Drinker, brawler, all that stuff. Never shed a tear. So weakness everywhere. But he had this thing for poems, poetry. Reading them, quoting them. Probably thought it rounded him off, you know. His way of apologizing, I guess. And there was one that hung over the desk in his den. It was only when I was a lot older I realized he had written it. It was untitled. Four lines. I read it at his funeral. Once more into the fray. Into the last good fight I'll ever know. Live and die on this day. Live and die on this day. Sick Sam unfortunately meets his demise due to the weather and his sickness. We move forward from here to the second morning as the group is about to leave. The director mentioned that originally Liam was supposed to see a wolf, but then had this to say. It's funny, remember we, we had had a version of this where Liam looked over and saw the wolves and we and we broomed it because we thought, okay, we're getting too... It's like what you said, dude. This is one of the scenes that kicked back when the movie said no. We need a moment where they actually have some hope. And I think that was the correct decision. In fact, I recall wondering, if they successfully crossed this cliff, would the wolves be over with in this movie? Had we seen the last of them? And as I, 
Currently adding this note while watching the commentary track. Look at a still of this cliff on my TV right in front of me. That the group has to cross. I'm reminded how ridiculous this scene is. And I'm not sure that I believe the wolves could have been able to get down to them so quickly. In fact, when I said, I'm not sure, I was very much being sarcastic. Can gray wolves climb as well as mountain goats? If not, I don't see it. I didn't fact check. Maybe they can. The group is pulling off this stunt of getting off this cliff, which just seems impossible, given everything about this situation. They don't have a choice but to try and cross. They're cornered. From what I can tell, the first guy jumped approximately a football field's worth of distance to land in those trees, but that's not why we stopped here. One of the guys spits up blood. And again, if you notice in the prior scene, you know, Diaz is spitting blood, so there's this idea that he's not doing so well. And I always had this idea that the crash did things to him they weren't necessarily aware of. You know what I mean? That the shock of it would somehow keep them upright for a long period of time, but they weren't, they weren't necessarily aware of how much internal damage they had done. That is exactly how I took that. I literally thought, oh no, he's probably bleeding internally. So nicely done movie. So much is told through the nonverbal senses. Another thing I wrote up in my own mind is um, about the sick guy. Liam sort of forced him to stay awake. Sick Sam. He was the other guy when Liam's like, don't take a nap. I have this little hunch that that was the reason he was the one who got sick from the elements. Upon my rewatch, I did catch that he actually had hypoxia, which A, um, definitely according to the movie and as far as I saw online, I don't know that sleep would actually help him from not having issues with hypoxia. And B, um, the fact that he is sleeping is actually bad. So if you ever have trouble breathing in high altitudes, don't fall asleep. Maybe his immune system got compromised due to not being able to get some very necessary rest. While we are at it, there is some amazing camera work being implemented when the last guy goes across the gorge. The plan does not go perfectly, as I don't think we expected it would. And they've lost another person, and another banged up his knee pretty badly. The movie is down to our last three remaining crash survivors. Once again, credit to the visual storytelling in this movie. So, guy number four, who just died, went a rather painful way, but he isn't dead by the time he gets to the ground. He's lying on the ground, and his last breath is being taken, and he sees his daughter. He's on the ground, so she comes from behind him, feet at his head, looking down at him. It is super touching and sad, and it's a cheap way to give the guy some character slash death, you know, to give this death more meaning for us, but I still absolutely love it. The daughter bends down to give him a goodbye kiss, and then the filmmakers have her hair just dangling on his face, and she wiggles her head side to side a bit, and immediately, I knew it. It was going to be the wolves eating him, and the camera pulls back, and with a wonderfully seamless transition, reveals it's the wolves devouring him. He's already dead. They did such a nice job of cueing that with the visual of her hair covering his face. You like, oh, I love it. Um, I can't talk about all of the examples that I have, but 
good lord i do love some of the things that they did in this movie visually i think i've i've probably mentioned that like 10 times recently unfortunately the movie sort of seems to ignore the knee injury that one guy just suffered it doesn't seem to affect him at all during the following montage directly after that scene so bad knee guy is walking normally as the montage comes to an end and then he tweaks his knee on some rocks and it goes limp again um strange but okay basically that means this knee injury isn't severe which lessens the coming impact for his character at least for me in this scene there is a pretty lengthy goodbye scene as bad knee gives up after tweaking his bad knee that knee tweak was his last straw shadow the dog from homeward bound had a much better excuse for giving up This scene has that feel to it. I'm about to play a clip from the commentary, and I would like to say, first of all, thanks for the first part of what you're about to say, Mr. Director, and secondly, as I just alluded to, no shit to the second part of this statement. It's funny, I don't think we ever really had, I think all of us, as much as we attacked the movie editorially and really went at it to try to trim it and and uh, and kind of whip it into fighting shape. We, this scene was always kind of immune to that process. Then we lose um, River Roy in a pretty horrific way. It's down to Liam and the wolves. wallets that they've collected through the movie for the loved ones and for identification reasons. As this lengthier moment comes to a conclusion, the wolves are back for their last and primary target, the alpha of the survivors, Liam. It's alpha versus alpha. Liam stuffs his note into his wallet, giving one last look at a photo of his lover who we have seen through many small moments from this fond memory that he has.
finally they pan out from this little memory that we've been seeing. We see that she's on a drip. She's dying of cancer or is dead of cancer. down without a fight. I assume that's a little bit of a parallel to her fight against cancer. Like, you know, she didn't give up, so he's not going to give up. But he's fucked. Once more into the fray. To the last good fight I'll ever know. Although there is this stupid ass second ending after 10 minutes of credits that I don't care for. Part of the reason I don't care for it is that to me, it means that Liam lived or it means they tied, which I guess I might be okay with. But regardless, it isn't my ending. I'm just going to I'll leave it at that. And even the director talks about it like it isn't the true ending to the movie. The last scene where we saw Liam go toe-to-toe with the wolf was the end. But then he also made other comments in pro that scene. So not long ago, I sort of mocked how slow and long slash slowly paced the scenes at the end of the movie get. But it's all forgiven with how quickly they close out the movie. Had the actual ending to the movie been long, this movie might have been ruined. I really do appreciate that they managed to make some sacrifices to get this story down to two hours. I'm sure plenty of crews would have ended with um, two hours and like 47 minutes worth of movie. They really did a great job of cutting out all of the fat, or a lot of fat, um, but it is almost too lean. I could have gone with another 10 minutes or so, to the movie to help flesh out the group dynamic better. However, because of that tight editing and cutting out so much of that group dynamic, this became a Liam-centric story, and that's a part of what makes the movie what it is, you know, as a beautiful and poetic story. There's a version of this movie that isn't so Liam-centric and is more group-centric, and I don't know if it's better or not. We got what we got, and it is absolutely fantastic. I also believe strongly that those choices they made in the editing room are the reasons behind some of the theories that people have about the other survivors. Uh, Pissing Pat, Chatty Chet, Six Sam, Daughter Dude, Knee Tweak, and River Roy depicting aspects of Liam's psyche. 
that's the movie. Thank you all for listening. I love you. You love you. Peace out. Crack, crack, makes the world go round.